My name is Rako, and I am an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Alan. Alan, alcoholic. Uh, I have a big mouth, but right now it's really small. You know, I, I'm so scared. But um, I want to thank Daniel for asking me to speak. Um, my sobriety date is May 1st, 2012. My home group is the Atlantic Group. My sponsor is Matt L. And uh, I've been sitting on step four for some reason. Don't know why, but that's where I'm at. Um, I'm reminded of this paragraph, which helps guide my day life every day. Um, it's, every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It's the proper use of the will. And the other piece that carries me through the day is the 12th tradition, which says anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, every mind us place principles before personalities. Um, I want to thank all the newcomers. And I want to say when I um, started my journey here, um, I walked into the church and I was up in the balcony and I was scouting out the exit signs because I always like to know if something goes down, my exit plan. But in the process of that, what I saw was sponsorship and service and action. You know, people would meet with their sponsors, and I, I know about meeting with the sponsor, but I just never saw it in action. And service, when people were setting up the meeting, and uh, that fascinated me, and I said, um, I want some of that. So I started my journey here. Um, it was, I was returning from a three and a half year relapse, and uh, nine months out there drinking. Um, the three and a half years, uh, I was running the show. I was doing my own thing. I was sponsoring myself. I, I, it was just all me. And um, when I got here, it was still all me. Um, and uh, I ran into a wall here because uh, the first sponsor that brought me through the steps wasn't having it. And, uh, he tightened me up really fast. Uh, God was always late. And he said, no, we have to show up for our commitments. Plus, if you're meeting with me, you have to show up on time. Um, and he moved. And then um, I was kind of slipping back in my old way. And uh, I uh, was shopping for the next sponsor. And uh, someone suggested a sponsor to me. and. Uh, I asked that person to be my sponsor, and he brought me through the steps, which was amazing. Um, I'm saying all that, that uh, we have great sponsors here at AG, and uh, I like the structure that's here. Uh, it helped me to stay on point, and uh, I forgot to say that I also work with sponsors and looking for sponsors. I'm gonna put that in right now. Um, you know, I wanna jump to where I'm at in my life. Um, after uh, 11 years, um, 
I know that the goal was to sponsor, to put our hands in God's hand. And I finally reached that point where um, fellowshipping with my higher power throughout the day is not a task anymore. It's very easy. Um, so I get up in the morning, you know, and I say my prayers, and uh, I ask God to show me the way to patience, peace, tolerance, kindness, and love, because I don't know what his will is, but that's my start off. Um, I cite the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, and the eleventh step prayer. And I do that, actually I have them memorized, because when life happens, I usually turn to them and ask God to show me the way, because what I would like to do is clap back at someone if they say something that I don't like. And that's what always gets me in trouble. I know that for a fact, because as a kid, I used to clap back and I always got beat up. So I know it, that possibility is, is still available for me today. So um, I love the fact that I can talk to God throughout the day. And when I'm praying, I'm never praying for me. Um, I know my higher power knows what I need. So I'm always praying for those uh, that perhaps don't care for me, uh, family and friends. Um, I um, ask God to do for me what I can't do for myself. And that has been truly helpful in my journey. Um, I'm, I'm married and uh, my husband is not, he's one of us, but he's not in the rooms for one of us. No, he doesn't come to the room, so that's a challenge. But you know, uh, God helps me through that because I'm not his sponsor, I'm not you know, his caretaker. Uh, I, when I got here, I also was uh, codependency. Didn't know how to deal with that. And I tried to go to uh, CODA and uh, they just gave me affirmations and I'm like, Affirmations is not enough. I need a solution. So I headed back to AG um, to solve that, and I have solved that today. You know, um, I remind him that um, I want to be with him, but we're good on our own. Thank you, five minutes. That we're both good on our own. You know, that's the same thing I um, rely on my higher power when um, I'm dealing with trust, because I came here with trust issues. And uh, I used to have to gauge and figure out who to trust. Today, I don't do that. I give that to my higher power. Uh, my higher power has not led me to a, a pack of wolves. Um, I can talk to people and not worry about them using it against me. And if they should do that, I still would be okay because my higher power has been taking care of me. So you know, I just don't have that worry um, that I used to have in life. Um, I remember uh, Daniel was up here speaking one night and he said, um, it's none of my business what other people think of me. And I thought that was amazing because the whole time I was always worried about what other people thought of me. Today, I don't care. Even though at this moment, I'm kind of shaking up here, but that's just because I'm in front of you all. But in general, one-on-one, -on -one, I don't care because it's not important for me. And I give that to God, you know. Um, I reminded on the train that um, when I'm running late, I, um, I don't want the train to stop, I don't want the bus to stop because I'm late and I want it to get me to my destination. But I also realize that when I give that to my higher power, um, I'm not getting so resentful at people because they decided to catch the train or the bus or they decided to get off the train or the bus. 
uh, I focus on God's will, and that's just allowing him to get me to my location. And that works very well um, in my life. Um, let me see what else I was talking here. Um, so, um, I am grateful for this home group. Uh, I'm also grateful for Peggy, our co-founder. She used to sit right up here, and uh, if you did something wrong, she gave you that look, and you know that you've done something wrong. Um, I, I remember once in my early sobriety, I was meeting with um, a sponsor at Starbucks, and she walked in, and I was so surprised, and it was almost like the queen had walked in, you know, and we sat down, we spoke for an hour. It was such a lovely feeling, and I have that with me all the time. Um, she loved that I wore colors. <laughs> she, loved, she loved me to wear colors, and I, I, I always wore colors for her. Um, I'm just, just grateful for this home group. I'm grateful for the love that I received here, because uh, when I got here, again, I was self-hatred, uh, mommy and daddy issues, um, uh, guardianship issues, all of that. And today, I don't deal with that. You know, I've come full circle, and it's due to this program, uh, the very people that I hated, and I was going to go to my grave hating, actually, thank you, I have them on my watch today. I have their photos here, and I carry them with me. And I feel so connected, and I'm so grateful for that. I was able to work through that. I'm not the kid anymore. I am an adult, and I look at these issues that was in my past as my past. Uh, AG has been a, a great life for me. Uh, AA has given me a life, a purpose. Um, I'm just so grateful to be a part of this group, and uh, I'm going to end it there. Thank you. Our second 10-minute speaker is Whitney. Hi, my name is Whitney. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is September 20th, 2019. So next month will be four years. Closer? Better? Song, thank you uh, for asking me to be here tonight. I, uh, this isn't just my home group. This was day one. And um, day one was this group, and, and every day since. And the people here, um, honest to God, saved my life. Um, when I was two years sober, this is the only way I know how to describe what it was like. Uh, when I was two years sober, I found some papers stuffed in the back of my closet. And I looked at them, and they were discharge papers from the Lenox Hill emergency room which was strange because I did not remember ever going to the Lenox Hill emergency room, ever. And when I looked at those papers, the diagnosis was acute alcohol withdrawal syndrome. I was 95 pounds, um, so 20 less than now. And um, I had a blood alcohol content of a 0.36. And, um, and my body wanted more. And when I looked at the date of those papers, they were 30 days to the day before I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. And even just saying that, like I don't get nervous speaking, like I normally won't shut up, but like I, it, it gives me like chills 
because like this just wasn't me you know and like the day that I came to on my bathroom floor surrounded by like tall boys of Budweiser and I knew that it was over like that wasn't me and I walked into the Thursday AG and the next day I met my sponsor Christine and like the first words out of her mouth were like hi I'm Christine you should be in a hospital right now and which is funny because I already had and I just didn't remember um, and like that's that's how it all started and I think it's important at least for me like for my story I, I just want to be crystal clear that early sobriety was like the single worst experience of my life and I've never been in more pain I have never been so like walking wounded I don't know what a pink cloud is I don't know what like being bright-eyed and bushy-tailed was about. Like, all I knew was I was 32 years old and like the grief and the pain and the trauma and every bit of it came crashing down. And I thought it was gonna eat me alive. And I only share that not as like a badge of honor, but like, there's no doubt in my mind there are people here right now, like amidst all the shiny, happy people who are living through the worst, most painful moment of their life. And if that's you, I want you to, to feel seen and feel heard because like me too, that was my experience too until it wasn't. And when it wasn't, what I found was I could go through my days and slowly but surely my every waking minute wasn't consumed by how much I wanted to drink and that minute turned into hours to days and that obsession was lifted and that was a freedom that I did not even know to hope for. And that's the moment that everything for me changed. And I hope to God that you stick around and give yourself a shot at, at having that moment. And, you know, this is the part where everyone talks about how, like, you know, wildest dreams and, like, cash and prizes and... A million things in my life have happened as a result of this program that are absolutely incredible that I don't deserve. But when I think about the past like year or two of my sobriety, the things that stand out to me the most are, are not the things that I got that I wanted. They're the things that I didn't want <laughs> that I got. And they're the things that I still want but I haven't gotten and how Somehow in sobriety, I get to see the gifts in that. It's a different perspective. Um, you know, I fell in love in sobriety. I met the one, um, and then I realized he wasn't the one. And then I had to, to leave the one. And um, that, that was like a, a, you know, early sobriety, zero out of 10, good time. This was like a three out of 10 good time. It was awful. And right when I was like 35, single, crying, my life is over, um, thank you, which, LOL, I'm 36 and single now. So I, I have not seen the return on investment from worrying about that yet. <laughs> um, that's when I got a call from my sponsee who was like, I love him and I don't want to leave, but I think I have to and I don't know if I can do it. And I had the gift of saying to her, I know exactly how you feel and I didn't think I could do it either, but you just saw me do it and if I can do it, so can you. 
and I watched that girl at a year sober do what I could barely pull off at three, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I didn't, I didn't want to talk about my daddy issues, but we have to go here. Like, I, <laughs> my hand got forced. Um, last summer, I reconnected with my father, uh, who I had not seen or spoken to in over 10 years. My father's one of us. My childhood was violent, and it was abusive, and it was bad. And I shut the door on that really hard, and I kept it shut because I had to. And last summer, I was pissed as you know what, when all of a sudden I kept getting this thought in my head that was like, how am I gonna feel if I get the call that something happened to him? How am I gonna feel about that? Which let's be, that not fair, not fair at all. Should not have gone through my mind, but I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. And all I wanted in reaching out to him was to not feel guilty if I got the call. And the past year has been a lesson in boundaries because um, he's not changed. Uh, but I have. And um, three weeks ago, he called me at like 10 in the morning and I immediately knew something was wrong. And I answered and um, he said, Wit, I just got the call. My little brother's dead. And it was the second and last of his brothers that had drank himself to death. And I stayed on the phone with my father and I was there for him as he sat in his front yard and cried. And that is not what I wanted. Like that was not the plot twist that I wanted at all. Um, but I'm grateful for it because the beautiful piece of it was that as that was happening, like not once did I think about the awful stuff he did, not once did I think like, does he deserve to be talking to me? No. What sincerely went through my mind in that moment was thank God I picked up the phone. Thank God this person in pain is not sitting in the grass crying alone right now when he got the call. And it dawned on me afterwards that Learning that, that I can change no matter what the situation is. Learning that I'll never regret doing the right thing and, and being kind to someone and not expecting it in return. Like, you guys are the ones that taught me that. Because you guys are the ones that did that for me. Because I was just the girl that <laughs> woke up on her bathroom floor surrounded by tall boys of, of Budweiser. And you scooped me up with open arms and you showed me so much kindness, not expecting it in return. And because of that kindness and because of this program, like I'm not that, I'm not that girl anymore today. I'm so much more than that. And I've been given more than I ever could hope for. And frankly, more than I ever thought I even wanted, and, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. And, and that's a result of all of y'all in this room and going back to the original piece. Please stay. Please stay. If you're going through the worst moment of your life, please stay. 
so that you get a glimpse of the thing that keeps me coming back, of the thing that I'm so horrified to lose, and that is like the freedom that I get to have today. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Tom, and I am an alcoholic. Our main speaker tonight is Aaron. <clears throat> My name is Aaron, and I'm an alcoholic. I've uh, been sober since July 14, 2003. I have a sponsor. Uh, I have a home group. And uh, it is this one. I'm tr moving around quite a bit, so I don't get to get to Tuesday night as much as I'd like. But I'm grateful to be here. Uh, preacher, thanks for having me. New people, who thought Bottom was on Park Avenue? You know? Maybe it's the first step out of the darkest place we ever were in our entire lives. But I will tell you, um, I moved here, and uh, I found, I sought this group out. And one of the reasons why I sought this group out was because there's a lot of people in this room that are willing to tell you the truth. The truth, a lot of times, is not popular, and it's not the thing that everybody else is telling you. It's the reality of what it is that I need to do in order to overcome alcoholism. Because let's not forget for a second before we get into this, I'm afflicted with a disease that wants to kill me, beyond measure. No explanation, all the things that go on in my life for whatever reason, uninterrupted, will bring me to a drink. And once I drink, there's no off switch. And those words mean something like in an academia way when you hear about it out of the book or you like hear other people talk about it. But what we try to do in our stories is share with you what the circumstances of, those, of that particular moment in time was when that was happening to me so that you have an opportunity to relate and realize the reason why we're here and we're doing this stuff is to help you. I was a guy that, like, honestly, I, like, I was a guy, I was fairly popular, I had a good family, I played basketball, I did all the stuff. You know, the, the thing about me, though, I was always the guy that, like, I liked to get in trouble. I liked to push the boundaries. I liked to see what people were going to say. I was never really comfortable, you know, like... If somebody was wearing, you know, those clothes, I wanted those clothes. I'd get those clothes, somebody else had something else. Like, I don't know if that's alcoholism or not. Predisposition of being dissatisfied, 100%. No questions asked. And I remember I went into the refrigerator one day and I pulled out two, um, two Coors Light that had probably been sitting there for like 10 years. Probably skunk beer, to be perfectly honest. We snuck out of the house we went, we snuck over to where the girls were, and we dropped into the window well. Obviously, I'm not in New York. I'm in the middle of Fargo, North Dakota. That, they have window wells there, so you can escape from the basements. Um, and uh, I, I sat down there, and immediately the energy that came around alcohol was something that I wanted. We cracked those beers. I took a sip, tasted terrible, warmed my belly up, 
like something I had never experienced before. The guys that were with me didn't like it, and one guy started pouring the other one out. And I was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. And I remember I immediately pulled it from him, and I took that drink, and I drank that beer I didn't share with anybody else. Literally, I could put my two feet at exactly where I was standing at that moment in time when I looked up at the sky and I said, I want to do this for the rest of my life. The feeling of all the crazy was gone, the worry of what you didn't have, the worry about where you wanted to go, the worry about how far behind you were, was all gone. And everything came into focus. And see, what happens for a guy like me is I go out and I have a little bit of fun, I do all the things, I party, we can do, all, you know, we, like, we drink, we have fun, we're not idiots, I get something from that. I like that relief, I like the smooth. I like that feeling as though like all the world's problems shake away and the noises inside of my head go away for a little bit. And I would chase that and I would chase that and my problem was I would have to go further and further and further and further. And I was always the guy that, could, that would say, hey, you know what, if I really had to, I'd stop. You know, and I've got two stories that I want to tell you a little bit about my alcoholism and then I'm going to get more into the solution. But... I was a basketball player, and so I had a couple of scholarship offers sitting on the table, and I got in some trouble. We were out. We were drinking after one of the games. The police came, and I, like, couldn't outrun the dogs. Dogs got me, you know? Um, <laughs> those German shepherds are fast, man. They are fast. And so, you know, I'm a, I am, like, a good, genuine alcoholic, and I have all the remorse in the world, and I swear that I'm not going to drink anymore. And so I write a letter. At the time, you get kicked off the basketball, you get kicked off the basketball squad for life or for the rest of the year. It was my senior year, so all the scholarships were gone. And I write this letter. I get the school board there, and they say, "You know what? We'll tell you what. You come back in four weeks. You can practice with the team. We'll let you know our, we'll let you know our decision." And you know, I walked out of there thinking I'm never going to drink ever again. And this is when I was like fair, I was, you know, I didn't really think drinking was going to be a problem. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I get like a week away from that. And I think to myself, you know what, it wasn't, you know, it was the circumstances. You know, like it was because I was at a party and it was, I was hanging out with other people. If I actually just have a couple guys over and keep it super low key in the basement, we'll be absolutely fine. You know, the same cop showed up at my house asking to give me a breathalyzer lights out now I chalk that up to bad circumstances and misunderstanding in some cop that's got got it out for me right at no point was this an errant problem you know so I decide I'm going to stop playing basketball I'm going to move to Arizona and I'm going to start playing football because I realized that when I was playing basketball they just weren't as rough and tumble as I needed them to be so I was going to play football and I was going to be able to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. So I go down to Arizona and I start playing football and I start partying all the time. Now listen, a half step slow in North Dakota and it's like four steps slow in Arizona. It just doesn't work, you know. So I'm out there, I'm getting beat on every single day. I'm going and I'm drinking like as much as I possibly can. Dehydrated, shriveled up, pulled both my hamstrings. I mean, I got nothing going for me in my life other than just drinking, trying to hold on to this 
junior college football scholarship that I'd gotten over a course of time, right? Like, this is what my life had amounted to. And I get this crazy good idea that I'm going to buy some outside issues and I'm going to drive across the country and I'm going to see this girl for Valentine's Day and I'm going to blow her away and all of a sudden my life's going to be absolutely perfect. That comes after like, you know, two cases of beer at three o'clock in the morning and I'm like ready to go. And I, you know, I get pulled over in the middle of Nebraska and neither here nor there. Um, and anyway, I, I set out on this journey. I like, so, you know, I get bailed out. It's a whole thing. Like everybody that's ever been in here, come in here through any circumstances, you've had the whole thing where the family, you know, realizes like you're not as great as you were. There's nobody else to really blame. Like you are the loser, like welcome to the party. You know, like it's like this spot where it's like, you know, your family's kind of faced with the reality that like maybe he doesn't have it all together, you know? Anyway, they bail me out. I come to the house, you know, and I like, I decide I gotta, I gotta go out and I gotta like live my own life. I gotta do my thing, you know? And so that's where I like, I like, I go out and I'm drinking and I'm drinking and I'm drinking and I'm not homeless, but I'm sleeping on people's couches a couple days here, a couple days there, night outside, a couple days here and a couple nights there, four or five nights outside, right? And I get to this place where I'm drinking so much and I'm partying so much that I'm, I'm, I'm actually sneaking into a couple of buddies' ba- basement to sleep. It, now, I want to paint a little bit of a picture, if you'll bear with me. It's an old dilapidated mirror, or it's an old dilapidated um, basement. The walls sweat because the foundation's cracked. The bathroom is old and it's dirty. There's a dilapidated mirror on the wall. There's a light flickering. And there's a sink that's kind of crooked that, like, you know, is just sitting there. And what happens for me is I'm waking up in the morning and I'm looking myself in the mirror trying to get my life together because I didn't sleep very well the night before. And I'm swearing to myself that I'm not going to drink that day. Right? I'm swearing to myself that I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm, and I'm putting out the list. Everybody's got a list. You know, you want to get your life together, what do you got to do? You call your mom first, obviously. Then you have to do your laundry, maybe get a job, maybe get some money, maybe like make some phone calls, be a productive member of society, call your brothers, do the things, don't hurt anybody, and definitely, 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 definitely don't drink. I lived that way for six months. You want to talk, there was no mom to lie to, girl to lie to, job to lie to, there was nobody to lie to. You want to talk about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Talk about looking yourself in the mirror every day for six months and not being able to tell the truth. Miserable. So I'm partying and I'm doing these things and all of a sudden I'm hanging out with these guys. Now I just paint another picture for you. I'm in the middle of a trailer court. For those of you in New York City, it's the equivalent of the Midwest like Section 8 housing, right? Like that's, that's where it is. And so, like, I'm, I'm, in this, I'm, in this trailer, I'm in this trailer, and there's five guys. Just give some context. Three of those guys, uh, sorry, two of those guys are dead. One guy is doing life in prison, and one guy is trying to get in and out of the rooms. The other guy nobody's really heard of for a little bit, right? So that's where I am. And for whatever reason, like, I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running. By this time, I'm talking to myself and, like, four different people, I don't really have a grasp of reality. I can't drink enough to make the feelings go away. It got really bad. And for whatever reason, I had a mental breakdown. And when, you, when a tough guy has a mental breakdown, what's the thing he does? I called for my mom. 
It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. I'm sitting in the room full of big dudes, all really, really bad, and I start calling for my mom. And this dude that had vouched for me, we were like plotting and scheming to go steal something or do something really bad. I can't even really remember. And he grabbed me, and he pulled me aside. He goes, look, dude, he goes, I'm going to take you to your mom's house. These other guys want to kick your butt. But, like, I'm going to take you to your mom's house. You just got to know something. Like, you can't come here anymore. You know what I mean? Like, took my man card right off the table. <clears throat> and um, so I show up at my mom's house, and, like, here's the thing. I get to my mom's house. By the time... That car ride had gotten to my mom's house. I had already come up with the plans and designs that I needed in order to stay sober. Leave me alone. I'm going to be just fine. Let me play basketball again. That was the answer. So I'm like, give me 20 bucks. I just want to go buy a basketball. Now, mind you, this is what I do. I'm like, I'm drunk. Go into the sporting store, buy a $20 basketball. I'm like walking around the streets with a, like bouncing a basketball. People are like, this dude is a freaking lunatic. You know, anyway, and uh, she was like, I'll tell you what, she's like, you can go and you stay with these family friends. You can't be around here because your brothers are around. You go and stay with these family friends. Here's what happens when I wake up in the morning. Okay. Sober sucks. Sober sucks. Wake up in the morning. Kind of starts like I don't feel comfortable. What am I doing here? I've overreacted again. <sighs> Go downstairs to see people, try to sit down and watch a little TV. Nothing is on the TV. Flipping through the channels. Maybe I'm hungry. Go and flip through all the cupboards. Leave all the cupboard doors open. Close the cupboard doors. Walk around. Pace, pace, pace. No idea what's going on. And then the worst part happens, which is your head starts going a million miles an hour about... If you would have just kept dating Ashley and would have dumped Katie, you would have been just fine. Or if you would have just stayed home, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble. This is all a big misunderstanding. You're never going to drink again. Dude, you're a loser. I mean, seriously, you're not going to have any friends. You're never going to get laid again. You have no reason to even get up out of bed in the morning. Like, honestly, you're not going to drink? What about when people go out after work? What about when you get married? What about when you have a kid? What about when, like, it's Tuesday? Like, you're literally never going to drink again? And you're walking around, you're pacing, you're smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, and you're sitting there and you're like, make it go away. I just want it to go away. Tell you what, maybe if you go to bed, if you go to bed, maybe it'll go away. And for some reason, when I lay down in bed, it's like somebody's turned the temperature up in the house by like 10 degrees I'm absolutely sweating I'm wrestling with the sheets I'm like left right this there this is stupid why am I even trying anymore you're never gonna make it <coughs> three days that way <coughs> three days sober that is what sober means to me maybe dry Sure, sure some people are sitting out there judging me right now, but um, <clears throat> sitting there and I'm dry. We haven't hit one. All right. Um, I'm sitting there and I'm dry. And I, uh, and, you know, like all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm wrestling and I'm wrestling and I'm wrestling with those types of things. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden I get to a place where I'm like, you know what, it's just got to give. So like the good friends called. You know the guys that you played basketball with that you haven't seen in like five years? Just the guys that drank. Didn't do all the crazy stuff, only on Friday and Saturday nights. 
they called on a Friday night. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and hang out with these guys. I was like, but I'm only going to drink 132 a Heineken. Right? And so I drink 132 a Heineken. I got away with it. Some of the smooth came back. I met a girl that night. I didn't pee myself in bed, and I got laid. And I was like, I'm back, baby. You know what I mean? I'm back. Friday went so well, let's do it Saturday. Instead of one, let's do two. Same result. Amazing. Now, Sunday, Sunday's going to be more of a day. Because, like, you know that list? I got that list on Monday. I got to get sorted out. You know what I mean? So I, uh, I go in, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay with two. And, like, all of a sudden, I drink those two, two 32s of Heineken in about 45 minutes. I'm, like, completely restless. I'm scavenging the medicine cabinets because pills were never really my problem. You know, they weren't my problem. I mean, I was a proud alcoholic long before I got here. Pills weren't it. Anyway, I took some stuff. I don't know what happened, but... Anyway, Monday. Monday's my day. Monday's my day. I got my list. My list is I'm going to get a job. I'm going to go buy some new clothes. I got to get a driver's license. You know, I got to call my mom. I got to check in, right? And I got to stay sober for the day because now it's Mondays. Now, I don't know about any of you guys, but back in the day, if I'm up out of the house, showered by noon, I'm doing good. You know what I mean? So, of course, I set the alarm for like 1130, hit the snooze button. And then I'm like running around the house, like trying to get out. And I get out. Now I'm going to go up the street to a gas station because who can't get a job at a gas station? You know, I mean, my hometown, people know who I am. You should be honored that I want to be working your gas station, you know. And this dude started asking hard questions that were just frankly unfair. Like, where have you been the last couple of years? Uh... Don't know. Uh, Next question. If I Google your name, what's going to come up? I'm innocent until proven guilty. You know? And uh, I wrestled with that guy for about an hour. I used to tell people that he didn't give me the job and I walked out of there. The reality of it was I didn't wait till the end because it was pretty uncomfortable. And I decided I got up. And as soon as literally it was almost like it was just a it was literally one of those weird coincidences in my life. I walked out and I got a phone call from the guys and they said, hey, we're going down the river today, you wanna come? And I said, yeah, you know what? I can do all this stuff tomorrow. 18 pack of Coors Light, I come to in the middle of that trailer beating the brakes off somebody without any idea how I got in there. Completely covered in blood. No idea. And I'm not really violent. And for the first time in my life, I probably told the truth, which was I put that guy, I I mean, like, I come to, and there's like 12 people screaming at me, and this dude is just kind of laying there. And like, and I come to, and there's blood all over me, and I put my hands up, and I said, this, I have no idea how I got here. And I'm going to tell you something. The weirdest thing in my life happened, which was a door opened up when I admitted not what, not, that I didn't know what to do. Little by slow, I was literally that night, I like, for whatever reason, somebody was outside because I was like fitting to get beat on for beating this guy in the middle of the living room, you know what I mean? And like all of a sudden, like somebody goes, Aaron, there's a car for you outside. So I go outside, it's my friend's dad. No idea. 
He looks at me, he goes, are you ready? I said, ready for what? He was like, whatever I ask you to do. And I said, yes. I was on a train that night. Didn't even get, didn't even get to shower, so I'm covered in blood. It's back in the day when you can smoke in the cars. Like, you know, so I'm sitting down there, I'm smoking, I'm covered in blood, and there's, there's a mom and a, about an eight-year-old kid. And this kid comes up to me, he's, and he goes, he's like, are you okay? Mommy, mommy, he's bleeding. And I, like, look over at the lady, I'm like, it's not mine. She, like, bolts out of there faster than anything you could imagine, you know. And I, um, I show up, and I come into the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I went into a treatment center. I wound up in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous for some reason. Like, listen, you put me in front of a counselor. You put me in a treatment center. I'm a model treatment suit. I can tell you exactly what the answers are, what you want me to hear. I even will tell you that I believe that I want to do the things that you're asking me to do. Knowing what has never been my issue. The steps to have always been my issue. The power to do those things has always eluded me. My brain gets the best of me every single day. So I go into this treatment center, I start listening to these people in Alcoholics Anonymous, and all of a sudden they're a little bit different than the treatment people. You know, like treatment people, they're talking to you, they're trying to tell you how to fix your life, blah, 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 all that stuff, it's great. I mean, it is great. You dry out, you get your life better, 100%. But these guys from AA were different. You know, they were putting words to problems that were going on in my life that I had no explanation for. Like, I remember this guy, he came in and he talked, he's like, you ever have so many thoughts swimming around your head you don't even know how to grab one? Like, you don't know how to answer whether or not how you're doing because you have no idea. 100%. I mean, if you have an hour, I'll tell you, but not like in a regular conversation. Do you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and never want to drink again and for whatever reason you end up taking a drink and you have no explanation in your core of why you did it? Or that when you went to the bar and you said you were only going to have two and you ended up there all night because like Josh showed up and you wanted to hit on a girl and then you end up at five o'clock in the morning and piss your pants at the end of the bar run. You know what I mean? Like, you ever know what it's like to be laying in bed and feel like the wind of the world blow through your soul? 100%. And then these guys would smile with this grin and they'd be like, well, that's exactly what we had too. And we've got a solution to Alcoholics Anonymous. You're like, great. Anyway, so I started my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous and I started to do this stuff. And I, you know, like, listen, little by slow, I, I'm starting to watch these people that are doing these steps and they're getting great, they're getting great things. Cash and prizes are coming their way. Cash and prizes. By the way, Alan Whitney did a great job, you know. Whitney said if I cry, I automatically get a gold star. I'm, it's not going to happen, but I'll try. Ooh, she didn't like that a little too much. Um, uh, but I get in and I start doing this stuff, and these guys are going through the work, and all of a sudden they're getting things. Like this guy did a four-step. His dad bought him a BMW. I'm like, boom, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> So I picked this guy, he's about five foot five, he looks like Where's Waldo, because you know, if there's an altercation, I, I can take care of it. You know what I mean? 
I asked this guy, I said, hey, you know, what you think about sponsoring me? He said, tell you what, let's go out for breakfast on Sunday. I said, all right. So I get into that breakfast. I'm uncomfortable because I have no money. And he can tell. I feel really bad. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, hey, don't worry about it. You can get whatever you want. Breakfast is on me today. And we sit down in the middle of this living room or in the middle of this restaurant. We start talking about things that have happened in my life that I've never told anybody else in my entire life. And he starts sharing the same things. And our heads are bobbing up and down, up and down. And listen, we talked and talked and talked. And I asked this dumb question. If you guys are new and you don't want to stay here, don't ask this question. I said, dude, you seem like you get it, but your life is better. You've got a car, you've got a wife, you've got a job, you've got, you know, like you've just, you've got your things together. Like, I don't understand it. Like, I can't rub two nickels together right now. I said, what did you do? And this dude lit up like a Christmas tree and was like, well, that's exactly what I'm going to show you how to do. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. So I started my sponsorship journey. I would call them with the problems du jour, and this was the type of sponsorship that I would have. He would let me go for about a minute and a half or two minutes when I was new. And he would say, are you done yet? And I would say, yeah. And he'd say, Aaron, there's a solution in Alcoholics Anonymous if you're willing to do the work. Please do the assignment. Call somebody and try to help them, and I will see you at the meeting tonight. And he would hang up the phone on me. And I'd be like, what? How about my problems? I got real problems here. You know, I was looking for some legal counsel, some girlfriend, you know, some girlfriend help. I've got real problems going on. I'm dying here. You're the only dude that can help me with this, right? And, uh... So, like, I start doing this stuff, and, like, you know, I little by slow start, you know, like, I'm going through all this stuff. I'm doing it begrudgingly. Like, literally, I'm like, if this does not work, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to prove to him that it's not going to work. I'm going to do everything he asked me to do, and that it's not going to work, you know? And all of a sudden, these things started to come to pass for me. You know how, like, I was talking to you guys about these cash and prizes, I write a fourth and a fifth step. You know what happens to a guy like me? I get a phone call that my brother dies in a tragic accident. Right? Day after we bury my brother, I get indicted, I get indicted on another criminal charge. Right? I then go to jail for the other problems that I had. My first 90 days sober, or my first six months, I spent about 50-50 time out in the world and in a here's a cool thing all that happens here's my cash and prize all that happens i spend time alone in jail cell two things who do you think wrote me to talk to me while i was in there the boys that were my ride or die nah there was this aa group that wrote me every single day i got a letter from them hope right then all of a sudden I get out of, this is a crazy story, I get out of jail and I'm like going and I'm like, I got to get to a meeting because I'm like weird. I'm like out into the world. I just don't feel very good. I go to this meeting and I'm like, yeah, I know where it is. I show, the, show up there and it's, it's moved. So it's, I don't have a cell phone because I just get out of jail. I go to the gas station next to the place and I'm like, I'm like frantic. And the guy goes, hey, are you looking for the AA meeting? And I said, yes, I am. And he goes, I tell you what, it just moved over this way. Go on over there. I walk in time for the second AA speaker. 
And this woman, she got up there and talked about how she had lost a sister early in sobriety and was starting to separate herself from Alcoholics Anonymous. And she thought she was really, really different. And it like, God gave me a massive hug right then and there. In my sobriety, what I'm trying to tell you is I've done the work and for whatever has come my way, the universe has reciprocated a messenger or a message or something in my life that has made it okay. So if it's super dark right now, there's light. And we want to help you with that. I think that's the big thing about Alcoholics Anonymous and the reason why I love this room so much. I'll tell you what, you ask three people for help on, in this room, and if you get three no's, you call me, I'll beat every one of them up. <laughs> no way that'll ever happen. That's why this room is great. Right? I'll tell you one last story. This is a big God story for me. I was, uh, one, you know, that when I gotten in trouble that second time, one of the, it was a fight. And... Uh, kid got hurt pretty bad. It was pretty sad. And um, it was just a whole thing. Anyway, I, got, I, was, I was working one day and um, I got a phone call from the, from the inner group to go 12-step a guy. And of course, it was really inconvenient. I had to get off work. I had to find somebody to go with me. I really didn't want to do it. I hated it. Hated it. And I show up there, and I sit there, and I talk with this guy. He's, he's alone, he's afraid, he doesn't know what to do. He knows he has a drinking problem, and he's, like, completely perplexed on what's going to happen. And we do what we do. I sat, I talked with him, made him feel comfortable, and I, made him let, I let him know that there was a solution in Alcoholics Anonymous. And back then, where I was from, we would do couch commitments, we would move new guys in, we just took a lot more risks because their space was more available. Anyway, he, I, so I, I had a place for him to live in my house, and I asked him if he would like to come live with me, and he said, yeah. He said, just one thing. You got to go, and you got to meet. Um, you got to see my, my parents want to meet you. So I go in there. I, I shake his dad's hand. I give his mom a hug. We sit down. We have a nice meal, and we're sitting there, and we're walking out. And I just said to him, I said, hey, man, I was like, what's your last name? And he told me, and I said, any relation to this kid who was the kid that got hurt? And he goes, yeah, that's my brother. And he looks at me and goes, don't worry, they know who you are. Right? Crazy. I was not allowed to contact that family because of what had happened. And God made sure that it was possible. And there's a lot of those stories. And I think a lot of people have those stories. So here's the thing that I'm going to tell you about Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm going to shut up and I'm going to sit down. I hope somebody's willing to tell you the truth because they told me the truth. God's not that scary. He can be anything you want. But God knows that I need him in my corner if I'm going to be able to do this thing one day at a time. Pretty sure. Thanks again. With that, I'm going to pass. My name is Preacher, and I'm an alcoholic, and I chair the Atlantic Group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Alan, Whitney, and Aaron.